Uh, Good afternoon. Today I have the lovely Mick with me. Hiya Mick, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Hello Donna, um, thanks very much. I don't think I've ever been called lovely apart from my wife when uh, we were getting married, but apart from that, just don't tell her that please. Um, yeah, I'm Mick, I write as M.W. Arnold and I seem to have stumbled across the saga genre, specifically, I write uh, World War II uh, historicals uh, set in the Air Transport Auxiliary. That's in uh, 19, 1942, started off um, in Dorset, England. And did you always want to be a writer? Oh, yes, that's one of those questions, isn't it? A part of me has always dabbled a bit with it. Uh, mainly because as before, before we started recording, folks, uh, Donna's found out that I'm one of life's wafflers. So when, I, when it's not going around in my mind, it's getting written down on paper before the advent of computers. So that tells you how old I am. And since then, if something comes to my mind on the laptop. So I've always written a little bit, just never thought about um, really trying to make it as a career. Um, I don't think I'd even started a, a book proper until about when was it I think 2013 when my lady wife read um, a Christmas romance which is out of character because with her it's uh, thrillers or books where there's got to be about five or six people dead in the first three chapters or she starts something else so I think I'm surprised to read this romance anyway she said, oh, you've got to read this. You've got to read this great story. So I'm in case of, yeah, okay, it's Christmas. I'll read a Christmas book. Uh, I think it took me two days straight. Didn't put, it, didn't put it down hardly at all. And then day after, for some reason, I felt this compulsion to get out and fire up an ancient, really ancient Steve Vai laptop. And I was on that, I think, from probably about seven in the morning until eight, nine o'clock at night. And that's where the basis of my first story came out. And then I seem to have, the book basically bit me quite hard from then. Love me. <laughs> um, and what made you decide to choose that particular genre to write? Well, I'd, um, at the time when the book bit me, uh, I can't remember where, but I found out about the Romantic Novelist Association and I got lucky and managed to join their new writers scheme which is absolutely fantastic anybody who's thinking about writing doesn't matter it doesn't have to be romance see if you can get, get on that folks it's brilliant you get mentored you get a full pre-seat of a, of a book uh, once a year stuff you can't buy well you can but it's expensive and through that I was obviously trying to write romance, you know, spurred on by that Christmas book. And uh, I managed to get one book published called uh, The Season for Love. And then I had a bit of ill health for a couple of years. And as most writers are, I you know, had a number of work in progresses, you know, various stages. And every time I try to pick them up and carry on, it's a case of no, no, don't really feel in the mood. And um, some of your viewers may be familiar with a saga writer called Elaine Everest. The Woolworth Girls series, brilliant writer, great lady. 
And she gave me a bit of great advice, which is one of those where afterwards you think, why didn't I think of that? Try something different. You know, what those books are doing that you're trying to finish is taking you back into a place your head doesn't want to be. Very sensible. And as it happened, I was watching um, a program on TV about the Air Transport Auxiliary, which is uh, a bunch of civ a civilian service in World War II that was responsible for ferrying all of the aircraft combat civilian around Britain, wherever they were needed, in whatever weather and wherever. And I thought, oh, this sounds interesting. So followed up that with about three or four hours of procrastination, i.e. researching on the internet. And by the end of the day, I had a brief outline of where I want a, a possible story together with three or four characters. And I thought, oh, I like the sound of this. So following on from Elaine's, Elaine's advice, and uh, I'm, a real, I'm a panster, folks. I'm not a planner. I've tried it. The most I can plan is, oh, an idea here, put it at the end, the end of what I'm writing, and then maybe I'll come back to it sooner. Nine times out of 10, it just stays there and then gets far away somewhere. So that's where the idea of um, the Air Transport Auxiliary Mystery Club came from. And it seems to have snowboard and um, just love these girls to death. And the real ones were just so brave. There were men involved, I hasten to add. I've got to say that for everybody out there who says, you know, well, they're not men. But, yeah, there are male characters in the book, and they do turn up. But uh, let's be honest, this is the genre. Saga is mainly about uh, central characters of a bunch of, bunch, of, bunch of women, a bunch of girls. But the Air Transport Auxiliary had one station, no, two stations, actually. Um, I think one was Luton, but the other one was called RAF Hamble which was near Southampton on the south coast in Dorset. And that was all women pilots. And so that's a genuine station where my books are sent, are set. And this is just, um, a, a, just a fantastic bunch of women that um, there's a, only a few left now from the real lot. And I really wish I could meet a few, but now the pandemic's touch wood, pretty much um, under control. Maybe I'll try and, and track down one or two that's still alive. Their story needs to get out there. And I just hope I'm, I'm doing them a little bit of, um, of honour in what I'm writing. Of all the characters you've written so far, do you have a favourite? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm afraid it's my sole American character called Doris. Um, everybody that I've, that's read the book and come and spoken to me about it says, Doris steals every scene she's in and it's quite true she's a um well american obviously was thinking about joining their version of the air transport auxiliary over in america but then found out and it's truth it was called the wasps i forget off the top of my head sorry alphabet is at the moment that's my cat scratching my chair and i'm just hoping she misses me bum she has. And she found out that they weren't treated very well and weren't getting to fly very much. So you show, and that's that's really happened. So she came over to England and they all meet up at RF Hamble once they're posted there. And she's just loving the hell, trusting, but also strong as nails. 
but she's got a heart of gold, which which is quite natural. She has she has one real real weakness, and that's English fish and chips. She cannot get enough of them, and fortunately, they're one thing that was <coughs> excuse me that wasn't on the ration in World War Two. Uh, and her friends have got a great deal to have a great deal of trouble persuading her not to buy the local fish and chippy because she's also also a, a little bit of a rich girl but has been um, ostracized by her family for various reasons which come out through the series of books but um, everybody loves Doris and I do as well so got to keep her nice and safe if I if I can Sorry, folks, I've got a habit of liking, I like to put my girls in a bit of danger. And if you really read the books, you'll find out what I mean. But don't worry, Doris is safe for the meantime. <laughs> uh, so far, what's been the most fun scene that you've written and what's been the most difficult? Oh, um, a fun scene is probably in the latest book, World Blue Yonder, which happened to have a little copy there. There you go, folks. <laughs> and um, it's set at an airfield that called RF Polesworth, I think it's called. Um, very close. It's actually only about half an hour down the road from me. And it's where a American um, bomber group flying B-17s were based. And in that, in this one, this, this scene, there the girls have been invited to a hangar dance. Now, you've seen it on, um, what was that? What was that? There was a film um, about Sally, not the Sally B, that's a real one, uh, Mem about Memphis Bell. That was it, Memphis Bell. And there's a hangar dance in that. And so that was my um, inspiration for it. But in that, in this one, little bit of a spoiler in case you haven't read it, they actually come across Clark Gable. And he was based at this station as a cameraman and took part in a number of sorties, including one where he actually got the heel of his boot shot off by a German bullet. So he was in danger, just like Jimmy Stewart, and um, doesn't bear thinking what, what the world would have been like without a few of his later films if that bullet would have been a little bit higher. But they meet, meet um, Clark Gable and he's holding court and it's trying to integrate them so that it seems, seems natural. And of course, he's, he, he hears an American accent from a woman. There's no, there's no wax on, on base. So of course, zero is in. And one of my um, male characters who's actually, wasn't engaged with at the time, And that just turns into such a lovely scene where for the first time she's able to admit that she can love this, her, her boyfriend because what's gone in her past, um, she lost her first husband who went off and got himself killed in Spanish. And of course, like a lot of people do, that's it, I can never love again. And this guy comes in. So it's the first time that she actually manages to get the words out. So that's why I love that scene. It's a lot better than I've described it, folks. I'm a lot better writer than I am talker. Um, um, you also asked what was my hardest scene, was it? 
Um, that one was hard as well, but it was, it's the hardest thing I always have is how to finish the book. Because part of me, I, I, all, virtually every chapter I write has got some kind of cliffhanger on it. You know, people, I like to, like to persuade people to come back for more. And at the end of the, end of the book, um, they've, all had, they've all been back to this base after everything's come together. And um, a huge accident occurs in front of Doris earlier in the book. And they're remembering this. And um, shed a little bit of a tear while I was writing it because A, I knew I was coming to the end of the book and I hate letting go of it. You know, have I got one more chapter in here that I can, you know, other, you know, shoehorn in there so it, so it looks like it actually means to be there. And that's difficult to stop myself. But um, getting that feeling right so that it's a satisfying end for the reader um that there aren't any loose ends tied up apart from the thread that's going through all the books that you don't need to read the first one to, to get to, to get into the into this book but there's bits that happen there that i do refer to but it was a case of oh i don't want to let this one go because they, they'd had such a hard time through it Though I admit I've put them, put them, put them through even more, even more through them on the on the Christmas one that's coming up. So maybe I'd have a different answer for a different book. I don't know. But that was difficult emotionally to write. What's the most interesting thing you found while researching your books? Oh, oh. well. Um, some of your, your viewers might be, who know the, obviously their World War II history, uh, might be interested to know in, in that despite it being the war, there were some weather um, circumstances, situations, some kind of weather that, that if, it, if, it, if it occurred, the pilots were not allowed to go out and fly in. This didn't apply to the Air Transport Auxiliary. They had um, dispensation on a card um, that they carried around with them, that if they if they wanted to, to go for it, essentially, you know, take off and damn the arrows, you know, I'm going for it, they could. And they often turned up at bases in real life and the, the, the male air crew there would come out and find, who the hell is this decided to come down in the thunder, lightning, snow, whatever? And that would step this, you know, usually five foot, five foot three, four female pilot. And they go, what are you doing flying in this weather? So they could fly in any weather. And they often did. Because if the aircraft weren't at the stations, the air crew couldn't um, perform their task. So sorties would get dropped, um, which, would, which could um, lead to loss of life. So that was extremely surprising and I do work that into into a few scenes in in, in my books I like to it's, it's nothing like a bit of bad weather to have my have at, for a bit of bit of tension you know awesome <laughs> <laughs> that's that's nuts and yeah you, little five foot whatever women you don't mess with them anyway I found out <laughs> 
My oh, nan is no. probably five foot just, and she's she's tiny but vicious. <laughs> oh, I could send you this picture of there was a our first World War Two bomber, four engines, was called a Short Sterling, and then came the um, Halifax and the Lancaster. Now there's a quite a famous picture of a pilot next to it, and she's barely taller than the main wheels. And this actual aircraft towers above her by about 20 odd foot. And you go, how on earth could anybody fly that, let alone five foot two, two women? Well, they flew it without even being taught because they had cards, they had a little flip book. That's how they flew each aircraft. They passed out on the Tiger Moths and then they went on to something called a Mars Magistar, which is a, a, um, a, a monoplane trainer. And then then they went on to, on some courses for some aircraft. But for the most part, in the morning, they'd be given their chit and said, that's what you usually an Avro Anson taxi aircraft, um, sometimes the train, depending on which was nearer, but usually the Anson. And they had a little flip book and it told them all the settings for takeoff, landing, uh, flaps, engines, a whole lot. And that's how they flew. Can you imagine? Somebody doing that today? No, they'd, they'd quote health and safety. Not doing that, mate. Give me the six month course. <laughs> so, yeah, totally fearless. The men and the women of the ATA were totally fearless. Yeah, that's amazing. Wow. <laughs> I, did, I mean, I didn't even know they existed, actually. I've, I know bits and pieces, but um, yeah, I'm really, wow. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're one of the lesser-known forces that we had or, or organisations of World War II. But considering what they did, we the Battle of Britain would have been a lot closer thing because the pilots would have had to go out and get their own aircraft, which is what the Germans did. Their pilots had to go to the factories or the NUs, maintenance units, and get the aircraft. So by the time they've done that, a couple of hours, they're tired, and they still got to do a sortie. The British guys, they're having they're having what rest they can. Aircraft turns up, fueled up, put, put ammunition in it, it's ready to go, and they haven't had to have the stress or the strain of going to get it. Um, it, it was it was an invaluable service. Um, there's a plaque in St Paul's Cathedral in London, uh, which tells you, which which basically commemorates. The ones that died, I think there was something like 173 out of about 1,200. That's a very rough estimate. I've got a picture, but not with me. So it just came to mind. But um, yeah, some were shot down, but it was mostly because, like I, mean, like I mentioned earlier, about the flying any weather, flying into a hill, quite common. Sometimes they survived, sometimes, unfortunately, they didn't. Um, have you heard from any sort of historical societies or anything about your books? Uh, well, I've actually been in contact with the uh, chairman of the Air Transport Auxiliary um, Association. Um, and he's one guy that is quite useful for, you know, checking things. So I don't think they've, they've read, the, read the books. Um, they're, you know, they're getting on a little bit, shall we say. But um, yeah, I've, I've heard from a few people that have been in the forces. Um, one lady who 
worked with the ATA, it was a WAF in the World War II, who has been in contact with me. And it's so far, touch wood when I say anything like this, I've got my research right. And I'd just like to say to that, that uh, lady who left a review saying, why are these girls watch, were eating biscuits and drinking tea? There was always biscuits and tea, my dear, in World War II. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, couldn't resist that. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So, so far, since you've become an author, what's been your favourite standout moment? Um... Well, the first one was obviously getting that, that, that first publishing deal, you know. It's a case of uh, all my publishers have been in, been in America so far. So it's all via email, which is a bit, bit of a pain and proverbial, I'll be honest. honest. But that's these days, you can't, you can't do anything about it. But it was getting that first publishing deal and realising that there's somebody out there who actually wants to share a story that I've written with the world. So that would be the standout moment, I think. Though uh, one, one the other night came quite close because my, my Christmas book, and I've done hardly any PR on it, was at number five in a hot 100 Amazon chart. Wow. And I was going, how the heck did that happen? <laughs> so, but it's still, it's still getting that, that, that official contract offer through. And I think every first every first time author, author will say the same. Yeah, well, it varies, but it's along the lines of of that. Yeah, yeah. Because I speak to many. I bet you do. <laughs> yeah, I've lost count. Actually, I've no idea anymore. It must be reaching around two hundred, I think, but I'm not sure. Never thought about going back and just ticking off and seeing who you got? Take too long. I have time. I have Take too long. Time. Yeah. Very demanding creatures, authors, I find. Oh. Very demanding. <laughs> <laughs> On behalf of the creed, I, I offer my humble apologies. No, you don't. <laughs> yes, I do. Of course I do. <laughs> um, anyway... I love it anyway, so it's fine. I don't care. Um, Keeping out of mischief-ish. Well, you haven't been caught. That's the main thing. I'll show you my 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 fifteen year Air Force uh, long service and didn't get caught medal later. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, so, what's your biggest goal or your biggest dream? Um. Well. Get, get a at the moment with, with the authors, I would say get a best get a bestseller flag would be nice on Amazon. That'd be nice. Um, and like I'm an I'm an e-published author essentially at the moment. So I know there are lots of e-published authors out there, and it's not something to be ashamed of at all. And I'm not. I just I'd love to get a contract where it is actually something so I can go into Waterstones, you know, and see my book on the shelf. So I would say that's probably a, a goal at the moment. Yeah. Nothing um, quite like it, everybody told me. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine it. It would be awesome. Uh, I, I know exactly what I'd do. I'd be getting all the copies and putting them all around the front, you know, dotting them around and blacking <laughs> off everybody else's. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, you would, wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Of course, you're like, oh, this is me. <laughs> I think you probably do. Yeah. You know, turn one around if it's got the picture on the back and just stand there giving it the author pose. Say, <laughs> <laughs> so look, 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 bye, bye. <laughs> Accosting strangers, you need to buy this book. Yeah, and then you just get looked at weirdly and people would walk off muttering probably, <laughs> who's this guy? <laughs> um, probably get arrested as well, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, um, but hey, you know you know what they say. Moment. <laughs> yeah, and no, prom- no, no promotion is bad promotion. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe yeah. <laughs> um, when you're editing your books, what is your most overused word or phrase? Oh, two very similar. It was and there was. I hate them. I, I've got this thing set up on my word to look for them. And I go through each chapter. And if it's at all possible, and it is in 99% of times, I get rid of them. But it's just where, like, when you're writing, it comes naturally to use them. And which people have told me, and none of you said, oh, now do this instead, do that instead. I'm thinking, yeah. I'd love to see your first draft of the book to see if you've got the same. I bet you anything you haven't. Yeah, those two just come out and then I've got to go back and change them. I hate them. (laughs) (laughs) I love this question because every author I speak to knows knows it like straight away. They don't have to think. They know what their phrase or word is. And uh, yeah, Yeah. it must must be annoying. (laughs) Yep. I've even got a little white sticky note just, just beneath my, my laptop screen with it was and there was and a big red score mark for each of them. Doesn't help. <laughs> um, if you were able to spend a day with any author, dead or alive, who would you like to spend a day with? Oh, Terry Pratchett. I, 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 I grew up on his books. I uh, love them to death. If I'm in a bad mood or something's getting me down, I can pick up 99% of his books, just open up any page and just read and I get lost in that, that this world. I just love him to death. Uh, I've had, I had the, um, the honour of, of meeting him at, at free book signings and he just had so much time for everybody. And it was a case of people with one book go on that side, people with more than one book go that side, and people would turn up with carrier bags of books. And he never sent anybody away. Oh. I think Milton, Milton Keynes, I went to a book signing once, started at four o'clock, due to finish at six, he was still there at 10 o'clock at night signing. A gentleman and an author of the highest caliber. That was such a cruel ending he had. But yeah, it will be, it will be big Terry. Um, uh, what do you like to do in your spare time? I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a film buff. I love films, especially old ones. You know, I mean, anything, uh, black and white films I love. Um, if I don't watch, say, the original King Kong once a month, then there's something wrong with me. It's fantastic. And I still want King Kong to bat down more airplanes than he does. 
I still think if just moved his stance a little bit, he could get one or two more. Um, I'm also, from days gone by, I'm heavily into Star Trek. I have dressed up the conventions before I got married. I once went as an albino hoarder, which basically means you cover yourself in sheets, stick cotton wool buds on it, and you crawl around the floor. It's supposed to be a rock monster. Um, I've had blue makeup on me as, as an Andorian with, with antenna come off in a white wig. And that, well, I can, the best thing I can say about it is these were all pre-internet days and there are no photographs around anymore because I've made sure of that. It's <laughs> full sport. <laughs> I know, thank God for that. Can you imagine that as an awful photo, you know, and then doing a blue makeup and that? <laughs> oh my God, what the hell is this? If you so, weren't yeah, writing I, I, in, in that genre, then it would be awesome. But the genre where you write exactly. in it, yeah, it doesn't yeah. really work. <laughs> again, you notice, but I'm just not sure people would buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love watching those things. I can mm. go back and watch, watch the old, old original ones. I watch all the new stuff that comes out. It just, just makes, me, makes me remember when I was 20 years old again. <sighs> Lovely days. <laughs> so, yes, Star Trek and old films. I, I love doing that. Um, if you were able to travel to any period in history, either forward or back, where would you go? Ooh, uh, that's definitely one question I don't think I've been asked before. Um, how about next Saturday at about eight o'clock? So I could find out what the lottery numbers were. <laughs> <laughs> Only if you share. Oh, the, it's a deal. It's a deal. 50-50. No problems at all. Mm-hmm. I'll just take a million. That'll do me. I don't, don't want half. Just chuck us a uh-huh. million and I'll be fine. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm not uh, head maintenance. It's fine. <laughs> no, same here. Same here. I don't know. There's plenty of time to set this. I love Doctor Who as well as Star Trek. So it's a case of you go there and you say, you know, would you um, go back to avert something? You know, um, for example, air transport auxiliary, go back and tell Amelia Earhart, don't fly that aircraft that day. So much you could do, but um, no, I don't really know. Probably something like that. Um, there was somebody in the First World War I read about, about a British sniper who had Adolf Hitler in his sights in the trenches and decided not to shoot him. Of course, he didn't know who he was. But if you can go and go and give him a kick and say, no, no, that you need to get that one. But that would change too much of history would change too much. It's probably maybe maybe 100 years down the line just to see if humanity is still here. Which the way we're going is about 50-50. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, 50 years, I think, is iffy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Terrifying thought, but that is. <laughs> Sorry, but, but the book is on that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's what it is, isn't it? We can't do nothing about it. True, true. Yeah, I, I don't agree with going back and changing history either. Like, everything's happened for a reason and then stuff's happened as a result of that and it shouldn't be yeah. changed. It would, there would be too many knock-on effects, wouldn't there? This wouldn't happen or that would happen. Yeah. 
yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, if I was to speak to your darling wife, what would she say your most annoying habits are? <laughs> um, tapping my finger against my arm or anything like that. I tend to sit, sit on, the, on the sofa with my feet up. Uh, and so I've got my arm lent on, on my knee and then I'm, and I'm tapping away. I can't hear or feel anything. But she wears, she swears blind that, that it goes through the sofa and, <laughs> and annoys her. <laughs> so you see, I didn't have to think about that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> I'll be honest. <laughs> um, if you were to have a superhero power, what would you choose? Hmm. Possibly, if it's a well-known one, invisibility, so I could hide. I'm <laughs> just not, hide. <laughs> just hide. I'm not good with crowds. I often say I'm afraid of people, but it's probably a more I'm afraid of crowds of people. I just get very, very nervous around them. And so, yeah, invisibility, so I could just sit back and, and observe. That's that's fine. That's fine with me with crowds observing. See, I would want to be invisible, but that's because I'm really nosy and I'd want to go check out <laughs> the government and perhaps the White House and see what's really going on. <laughs> well, at the moment, the White House probably isn't as interesting as when that idiot Trump was in, but now it'd be more of a case of... Is it time for, for, for Biden's um, pill to, to wake him up or something like that? <laughs> yeah. uh, there's, there still must be some, you know, secrets and conversations going on that we never to get told. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just, just love to wander around and just hear bits and pieces. <laughs> yeah, find out the find out the code that, that for the for the for the bomb case they carry around, then then change it and then then watch them panic. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point, actually, because then no one would ever be able to set it off, surely, maybe. I don't know if there's two of them or not. Probably two. If, if there's logic, there's two, one with the vice president, one with the president. This is, this is um, you know, American politics we're talking about. Yes, yeah, good point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so are you working on anything at the moment and do you know what's coming next? Right. Um, yeah, I'm currently doing, finishing off probably about two weeks from finishing it, a secret work in progress. That's nothing to do with the Broken Wing series. Um, I'm, I'm quite excited about, but um, I'd love to tell you about that, except for the fact that it really isn't anything to do with this. It's just a completely new set of characters that just came to me that I'm just loving. But apart from that, I've also started book four of um, this one, which for people that have read have read this one will feature a scene at the very beginning with uh, Doris's psychotic duck. <laughs> okay. Got a, there's a duck that, that, that lives on the, on the uh, riverbank just in front of their cottages and... Doris is the only one that it allows near it. Apart from that, it always tries to go around and biting and nipping people, and they're scared to death of it. So I've just, I just, that just came up with that a few days ago. So that's 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 been down. Um, so that's going well, and I know that's I know 
I've got a bit of a shocker coming up on the, up in the beginning of the first chapter for that, but it's going to be a gripper, if you know what I mean. Apart from that, uh, what I've got coming up is 20th of October, I've got um, the release of the third book in the series, which is uh, called I'll Be Home for Christmas, which continues the theme of the, um, of the, of the World War II songs for the titles. So, and it also happens to have Christmas in there, which is a good thing to have. It is set at Christmas, by the way, just, just in case anybody is worried about that. So, so that one's coming out. So I'm gearing up for that one as well. And final thing is the 8th of uh, September, which is in two days time. I've just looked at the date calendar on my laptop and I'm now gonna to start to panic in a minute. I begin the blog tour, blog tour for Wild Blue Yonder. So, Watch out for that, folks. Um, that, that, that'll be winging to you. Various character interviews um, with Mary, Betty uh, will be coming along. Um, Penny's younger sister, Celia, who is a right little terror. Uh, interviews and various other things to do with the book. So I hope that you'll keep an eye out for that and maybe join us with a cup of coffee and a biscuit or two. Always a good way to start a morning, I find. Yes, definitely. So, yeah, busy times coming up at the moment. Busy but exciting. <laughs> busy but exciting and scary. I'm definitely putting in, definitely scary. <laughs> <laughs> well, you may be relieved to know I don't have any more questions for you unless you think there's anything that I haven't asked you that you want to tell us about. Oh, I think you, I think you know pretty much about my life. I'm probably going to have one of the, one of the two divorces from my wife when she finds out about the tapping thing. <laughs> I married her, married her twice. That's where the two bits come from. We always say she say that she divorced me once to get half my stuff, then divorced me again and get the other, so she's got three quarters. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's either that or murder me and plead manslaughter on the grounds of ministry responsibility. Be out in two years and still have everything. I'm, my money's personally on that one. <laughs> well, if you stop tapping, then the chances go down greatly. So. <laughs> she'll probably chop off my fingers one day <laughs> I threatened to do that with one of my colleagues once but he used to tap his nails and it used to drive me insane and I was like if you don't stop doing that I will hurt you <laughs> and I'm a very placid person but it drove me nuts I can tell I can tell <laughs> anyway <laughs> before I implicate myself in anything <laughs> would you like to tell everyone <laughs> I didn't where hear they yeah, it's not like it's being recorded or anything, it's fine. <laughs> no, I didn't think it was. <laughs> um, would you like to tell everyone where they can find out more about you and where they can get your books? Right, okay, if give me a second, she's caught me unawares here. Um, my books are pretty much, well, the usual, usual suspects, Amazon, uh, Kobo, iTunes, uh, Nuke, those kind of things. Um, I've got a Twitter feed of Mick859, which I believe is also my Instagram one. I'm just trying to surreptitiously waffle on while I find out about it. Ah, where was it? Where was it? Where was it? Oh, no, no, no. No, oh, I know where it is. Oh, come on. Wonderfully fast laptop here. But because I can never remember, I've got the world's worst memory. I keep telling my wife that you'll never tell if I've got Alzheimer's or not, but if you get any doubt, just use the cushion. 
play safe. It's much easier. <laughs> no insult intended, of course, to anybody. Right, here we go. Come on, laptop. Anytime. Right, okay. Um, I've got a YouTube channel as well, which is also basically everything's Mick859. Uh, if you look for that uh, on YouTube and also Instagram, which I'm on occasionally, but it's mainly, uh, mainly Twitter and uh, Facebook. But there's a, I'm reading the first chapter of Wild Blue Yonder and um, also the, the first chapter of uh, the first book, which was called A Wing and a Prayer. Uh, on, over on YouTube, and if you're feeling really brave, there's a bloopers reel of that to wing in a prayer as well. That was the first time I'd ever done a, done a book reading, and I think the blooper reel is about as long as the prologue because I kept on losing it. <laughs> well, I know what I'm doing when I finish recording. <laughs> oh, goody, goody! Don't well, think you... anything. You'll see, it's, it's not very it's not very ladylike when 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 drink comes out your nose when you snort it through laughing. Well, I'm not going to record myself doing it. So if that happens, no one oh. will ever know. <laughs> oh, dash. <laughs> I've learnt things as I've gone along doing this. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> uh, so if we do a search of Donna snort, you know, no, not Donna snorting. I don't know what I don't know what I'd find there personally. <laughs> <laughs> My conscience is clear, thankfully. <laughs> oh, good. I knew it yes. was. I knew it would be. <laughs> yes, only because I haven't been caught yet. <laughs> That's the best kind. Anyway, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me, Donna. It's been a lovely, lovely being here. <laughs>